following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being in the house of God. I'm glad to be home. I'm doing a series this month, the whole month, and I'm calling it The Pursuit of Happy-ness. The Pursuit of Happiness. I'm not taking it after a film. Will Smith got it after me, okay? He took this after me. But I'm going to talk about it. Tonight, I'm going to speak on the word blessed. Everybody say blessed. blessed. Do you feel like you're blessed? Yes. Doesn't it feel good to feel blessed? Yes. I love the feeling of being blessed. God loves to bless his kids. Turn to somebody and say, I am blessed. I am blessed. You are blessed. God is the blesser. For all the people watching online, we welcome you here tonight. Thank you for tuning in. You may be seated. God bless your awesome people. The three words or four words, I am so blessed. One hears this a lot these days, notably from famous people and often in acceptance speeches. Clutching a trophy or a statue, they say stuff like, I'm so blessed to be here today. My issue with such usage is not that it's flippant, or even untrue, actors and politicians can be deeply sincere about feeling blessed in their life. My issue with such usage is that it is so easy, so easy to say. It requires little effort in a moment of victory to know oneself as being blessed. Maybe a small dose of humility is necessary, but nothing more. And for the many of us watching at home, the unelected, the unfamous, it's easy to nod our heads at the TV in agreement. Yep, you're blessed all right. But my question tonight is simply, what does it mean to be blessed? See, we associate blessing or being blessed with some kind of religious activity or discussion. I read a story about a little three-year-old boy who regularly watched football with his dad, and one day they took him in big church, and the preacher was making a point, and he raised his hand like this, and the kid jumped up and said, Touchdown! Or a pastor was conducting a wedding ceremony, he raised his hand to give the final blessing to the bride and groom, and the bride misunderstood the gesture and gave him a high five. <laughs> and so not wanting to exclude the groom, the pastor offered him a high five also, which he declined. <laughs> what does it mean to give a blessing or to be blessed? When someone sneezes, we say, God bless you. Where does it come from? One source said there's an old Jewish tradition that sickness was unknown in the world until the patriarch Isaac became ill in Genesis. And alarmed by his father's condition, Jacob asked God to give people a warning of when the end was near so that the person would have time to repent before they died. And so the sneeze was interpreted as that warning. So those within earshot of a sneeze blessed the person who was afflicted with the sneezing habit. This became formalized in the 14th century when the Black Plague erupted in Europe. And during the dark time, Pope Gregory VII decreed that people who heard a sneeze should say, God bless you. Which reminds me of Henny Youngman's great line, God sneezed, what could I say? <laughs> Are you quick enough? You got it, didn't you? Irish people are famous for their blessings. One goes like this. May you be in heaven 30 minutes before the devil even knows you're dead. I love that. Another blessing says God is good but never dance in a small boat. If you don't know how to swim. That sounds more like good advice rather than a blessing. But another says 
And then I put it on the screen. May the roof above us never fall in and may the friends gathered below never fall out. I love that. May the roof above us never fall in and may the friends gathered below it never fall out. When Jesus saw the crowds in his first of his ministry, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them and he said this. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Yeah. Oh, that's powerful words. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Yeah. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown and obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Oh, I love peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when men and when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Brad, every time I read this, I think of you when you played Jesus. In our, in our play here for 12 years, Brad was a good Jesus, and he was a good, clean Jesus. <laughs> but he said, rejoice. I'll never forget. Rejoice and be glad. He said it so wonderfully. A few years ago, a consumer reporter named John Stossel did a report on risk management, and he gave a list of six things and asked people to determine what was the greatest risk to life versus what was the least risk to life. And he named five, six things. He named murder. He named fires. He named toxic waste. He named smoking. He named flying. And he named driving. By the way, I want to thank God for taking care of Jason and Christy Harrell. They had a, an accident, a pretty bad accident, and God spared them. And they're here alive and well tonight. I love these folks. But in terms of days, this activity takes off your lifespan. Which of these items would be the riskiest to human life and which would be the least risky? Here's what the research determined. The order from least risky to the most risky, the list should read this. Flying is the least riskiest activity in the order. It's the least. So go get on an airplane. You're not going to hurt yourself. The next is toxic waste. Many people are not going to be around that. You're sure not going to try to drink it. The next is fires. The third from the top is murder. The second from the top is driving. And the top risk is smoking. Flying carries very little risk, whereas smoking is very hazardous. But Stossel also listed one other risk factor that proved to be worse than all the others. The one that has the potential to cut the most number of days off of a person's lifespan. He said poverty is number one. Everybody say poverty is number one. Every day that I pray, I want to tell you folks, every day that I pray, I pray for God's blessing and God's favor on your life and that you will be not only wealthy, but you'll be rich in God. I pray for that every day. I ask God to do that. And if you're doing the right things that you should do on your side of the bargain, I promise you my prayers will come true in your life. Because God wants to bless every one of his kids. Come on, clap your hands and say amen to that. 
Poverty is the single greatest risk factor for a shortened lifespan. The average smoker loses about 1,916 days or five and a quarter years of their life. But a person in poverty loses an average of 3,165 days or 8.7 years off their lifespan in life. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor and blessed are the poor spirit are both difficult to affirm in our culture. There's no wonder the emperor Julian, the apostate, said this one time. He said, once, he said cynically, that he wanted to confiscate Christians' property so that they might all become poor and enter the kingdom of heaven quicker. He wanted them to die. Blessed are the poor. How about blessed are the meek? Meek, meek. How's that work? A cartoon from a newspaper shows a corporate board sitting around a long table and the CEO says rather cynically with a smirk on his face, the meek shall inherit the earth. That's okay, he said. We will still own Congress, he said with a sneer. There's probably some truth there. How about blessed are those who mourn? Or blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you? That's tough stuff. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's tough. A pastor called her sermon of the Beatitudes, blessed are the upside downs. She said it was like Jesus turned the world upside down with these Beatitudes. She remembers as a little girl standing on her head to liven things up. She wrote, the grass hung in front of my eyes like a green fringe. Trees grew down, not up, and the sky was a blue lawn that went on forever. And as long as I kept my balance, I could tap dance on it. Birds and clouds flew under my feet, not above my head. My swing set was no longer an A, but it was a V. And my house seemed in danger of falling off the yard, just shooting off into space like a rocket. She said, in a world where trees grew down and houses might fall up, anything seemed possible. I love that. I think Jesus, she said, should have asked the crowd to stand on their heads when he taught them the Beatitudes because that's what he was doing. He was turning the known world upside down. And later... The Bible said the disciples turned the world upside down because Jesus' words got into some people. He was turning the known world upside down so that those who had been fighting for breath at the bottom of the heap suddenly found themselves closest to heaven while those who thought they were on top of it all found themselves flat on their back looking straight up. There's something powerful about this thing called being blessed. And I want to talk about it tonight because it's the road to happiness. We need to understand what true blessings from God's all about. Come on, clap your hands for that right now. The Greek word for blessed simply is makarios, M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S. It means to be supremely blessed, by extension, fortunate, well-off, blessed, happy, happy. Makarios is the name of an island off of Greece. It was called the Makarios Island. It was known as the blessed island because it was self-contained. It's true, a true place. The residents didn't need to leave the island, hear me now, in order to get their needs met. The island offered everything that they needed physically, financially, and spiritually. The natural resources of the island were so thick, so rich, so fruitful and so productive that everything they needed to enjoy in their life was already built in. The inhabitants of the island were self-sustained and self-contained without having to run to another island to get their needs met. 
The blessed island, Macarius, provided everything they needed. And so Jesus is saying, Macarius, blessed. Let me declare tonight. Oh, I'm fixing to preach. <laughs> All the stuff that you think you need to get outside of Jesus, that new thing, that new house, more money, all the extras that you want to make you feel blessed, they are simply a bonus. And there's nothing wrong with you wanting to be wealthy. Nothing wrong with you wanting new things. Nothing wrong with you wanting new cars and new clothes and a new house. Not a new wife and a new husband, but... <laughs> in the biblical world of being blessed, you should be okay just living on the island of self-containment and self-fulfillment. Just being in the kingdom with the king ought to, be, ought to put you in a blessed location. One of the ways you know that you're, you aren't blessed yet in the biblical sense of the word is that you have to keep leaving the island to have fun. You need more than your relationship with God to have peace. You crave more than your communion with the Father to have joy. But the blessed person finds their sufficiency with Jesus Christ. Can I just preach to you right now? There is nothing greater than where you are right now in the house of God. There's nothing greater going on in Austin, Texas tonight than what's happening right here in the house of God. Go ahead and rejoice in that. Go ahead and rejoice in that. We've been having church for a long time around here. And every time we get together, God meets us where we are. This is his house. It's his place. It's his, it's his habitat. He loves his people. This is our Macarius. This is our happy place. One of our secretaries, I'll give you her name. Her initials are DH. Debbie Howard. The other day looked at me with a big old grin on her face and said, Pastor, this is my happy place. It's my happy place. When church is not your happy place, when it's just a, a, a relief place, when it's a place I got to go when I need fixing, it's because you hadn't been spending enough time on the island. Come on now, let me preach to you. This is an awesome place. Jesus didn't die. He didn't die. He didn't die for everything. He died and he gave his blood so this church could exist. He purchased this church with his own blood. He didn't purchase anything else with his blood except the church. And because you're a part of this church, he purchased you with his own blood. And I'm telling you, we are blessed to have him and have a church to worship him in. Come on, this is our happy place. Blessed persons find their sufficiency with Jesus. This story may be familiar. It's wonderful and it's true. A successful businessman was invited about 15 years ago to give a commencement address to a group of 61 sixth graders, 61 of them. And the youngsters were about to graduate from elementary school. Remember those days, folks, in a very poor part of one of our major cities. If those boys and girls followed in the footsteps of the school's other alumni, only about six or seven of them would graduate from high school. They were a bunch of kids that just quit school early and did other things. 
and it would be remarkable if anyone went to college. And the business executive began to gather his thoughts in order to compose the customary commencement address. You heard it, the one that goes work hard, keep your nose clean and your shoulders to the wheel, and with a little bit of luck, you can make it just as I made it, you know. But that speech had a false ring to it to that man. In empty words, the man thought, hollow words, I don't need to say that. These kids had little reason to hope and even less reason to believe to try to beat the overwhelming odds stacked against them already in the sixth grade. The man knew something radically different was called for if he wanted to make an impact whatsoever on these children. If his presence in their lives was to be more than momentary diversion, if the children's future was to take a different shape, a different texture, so in place of a commencement address, he made a surprising announcement on that graduation day to each and every one of the 61 boys and girls. He made this promise, I will pay for your college education completely if you will commit to finishing high school. He announced that he had established a fund already and made an initial deposit of $2,000 for each child. He said, I have six more years, and to that amount, he would add each year until compounding interest and additional contributions would be sufficient to fund the college education of all 61 kids. Six years later, the students were in the 12th grade, all 61 of them. No one had dropped out. Three of them had moved away to another town, but they remained in touch with their benefactor. <laughs> and the promise continued to hold for them as well. Their grades were far superior to those of their predecessors. In fact, one of the ironies of the situation was that some of the students qualified for and were awarded academic scholarships. Many of them accepted their benefactor's invitation to drop in on him from time to time, and they did through school and among other things, they discussed their choice of college and careers. And an astounding, are you ready for this? An astounding 58 of them attended college. Amen. 95%. The lives of those individuals were remarkably better than they would otherwise have been. Do you see what happened in the lives of those young people? Watch me now. Because the shapes of their future was changed, therefore also was their present. In place of a conditional future... If you work hard and apply yourself, then you might overcome the odds against you and succeed. Now there was an unconditional promise. Not just a conditional one, but an unconditional one. Because the cost of your higher education is paid for as a gift and not as an achievement or entitlement. Your studies are not in vain. Your efforts have meaning and purpose and will bear fruit. In the theological terms, folks, it's what we call the difference between law and grace. Law and grace, demand and promise. And the business executive's act of benevolence is an excellent living parable of the gospel. The sovereign God could have said to us, if you work hard and keep your nose clean and put your shoulder to the wheel, then you might overcome the overwhelming odds against you and gain citizenship in my kingdom. But our gracious Jesus Christ cho chooses another way instead, of make, instead makes this astounding promise because I love you. I will assume the impossibly steep cost of securing your final future and I give that future to you freely as a gift right now. Let me explain that. The price has been paid. Your future has been set. All you have to do is determine yourself to get there. It's already taken care of. 
The Lord's prepared for you a place. He's got heaven waiting on you. There's no sense in you lagging behind. Step up to the plate. Receive the grace of God. Let the favor of God come on you and be blessed now, now, now in this life. Ah, yes. Right now. Right now. But I don't know tomorrow. Yes, you do. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yes, you do. You're going to have trouble, but God's going to see you through it. I don't know what's going to happen to my family. Yes, you do. They may fall down, but they're going to get back up because God's already got taken care of. He has provided for us a place. We just got to prepare and get ready to go. Grace is an amazing thing. Such a magnanimous and magnificent gift, free and unearned, engenders the free response of faith, love, trust, and gratitude and worship. And when that promise becomes part of us, it becomes an integral part of our identity. So how do you just keep preaching this way, Pastor? How do you keep preaching? Because I am blessed. I don't have to work to be blessed. I am blessed because he gave me the blessing. I am blessed because my father robed himself in flesh, came among us and lived among us and died on a cross for me. I am blessed. I am blessed. Not because of what I've done, but because of what I'm receiving. And I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow, but I know who's going to be there in my tomorrow. I know who's going to walk with me in my tomorrow. I know what the future holds because God's with me. He's already made the plan. He's already laid out the specs and he's let me know if you'll just keep walking, you're going to wind up there. You know, one man told me a long time ago, he said, son, I've quit preaching about when the Lord's going to come. I just tell people, just keep walking with God and one day you'll just take an escalator and it'll be all over. <laughs> Here's what I want to tell you. That's how you look at it. You're blessed. In your lowest time, you're blessed. In your most discouraging moment, you're blessed. When things are against you, you're blessed. When everything looks bleak, you're blessed. Ah! When nothing's going right, you're blessed. When you want to throw in the towel, you're blessed. When you want to quit, you're blessed. When you want to say it's over, you're blessed. When you want to say I can't do it anymore, you're blessed. Oh! <laughs> Woo! Everybody say I'm blessed. I'm blessessed. I'm blessed. I'm pursuing happiness. Uh, you that's never heard me preach, welcome to my world. When I get to feeling this way, I got to say it. And I'm telling you, we are a blessed people. Quit looking for the blessing. Well, where's it at? Where can I find the blessing? I want the blessing. I want the blessing. I could preach a while tonight, but I'm going to be kind to you. The 61 boys and the girls, their way was paid by a gracious benefactor. And our way's been paid by a gracious benefactor. And I may be in the sixth grade now, but I'm going to graduate. I'm going to college. I'm going to get my PhD. And I'm going to heaven someday. 
because somebody stepped up and said, this is what I have to offer. Will you take it? Yeah, I will. Thank you for that. Martin Luther said it this way. Jesus has saved me at a great cost from sin, death, and the power of the devil. Not with silver or gold, but with his holy and precious blood and innocent suffering and death. He did this so that I might be his own, live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. So say with me, I am blessed. Say, I have no doubt that I am. I don't hold a, I don't hold an Oscar in my hand. I don't hold a Tony or an Emmy. I don't have a Super Bowl trophy. But I'm blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. I'm blessed. This whole month we're going to be talking about this because we're pursuing something that is greater than anything you could ever pursue in your life. God's got you. He's got this. You're blessed the way Jesus would have you to be blessed. So do your values reflect his values? Are you having to get off and away from the church to find your joy and your peace and your contentment? Or does the church and the Jesus I preach about bring you the joy that you need in your life? Come on, clap your hands real big. I want to... I want to finish with an apocryphal story. An, an apocryphal story comes from the Apocrypha, which means that it is, it's legend, but at the same time, not only is it legend, it is written by historians. And even though it's not the inspired word of God, it is many times very truthful. It's not written in fiction. It was written by someone who really believed that they saw and heard and felt this and knew this. According to the story I want to tell you tonight, there was a young man named Philo. I close with this, Randy, if you'll help me. He was the only son of Pontius Pilate, the Roman official who ordered Jesus' crucifixion. And even before Philo was born, Pilate had great ambitions for him if he was going to be a lad, a boy. Pilate wanted a son who would one day be a great, respected military leader, a son who would make him proud. And when Philo was born, Pilate's pride was dashed because Philo was born sick, he was weak, and he was permanently crippled. And in that day, a Roman father could say, I don't want him. I don't want him. And Pilate would have nothing to do with him. And throughout the years, Philo was growing up, he was the object of his father's hatred and his bitterness. And he would tell him many times, you're not the son that I wanted was Pilate's constant reminder to his broken son. As soon as he was old enough to leave home, Philo left the palace of his father and wandered alone in the countryside. There he heard of a Galilean who went about preaching love and healing the sick and the lame and even feeding the hungry. Somebody said his name was Jesus. And Philo sought him out. And the story says Jesus healed him. Not only physically, but spiritually and emotionally. And Philo was even able to forgive his father for making him feel like a failure as a son for all those years. But from then on, Philo followed Jesus. 
Because the Jesus Island was greater than Pilate's palace. Macarius, the joy, the happiness of knowing Jesus. He learned what the word blessed was. And wherever Jesus went, he went. And it is said in the story that on the day Jesus was crucified, Pilate's only son, Philo, was at the foot of the cross, weeping over the death of his Lord and his friend. And here's what the whole root of the story is. Philo, if this happened the way I read it historically, Philo said in essence, I'd rather be here at the cross watching my Savior die than be back in the palace thinking that that's where the grandness of life was. Because Philo was also a part of the resurrection story. And you know what? Jesus does things wonderfully. And some of you have been forsaken by families and forsaken by friends and forsaken by people. But I will promise you without any misgiving in my statement tonight that Jesus will befriend you and he will heal you physically, spiritually, and emotionally. He's the Savior that brings us blessedness in our life. Clap your hands real big. Come on, clap your hands real big. This is my blessedness. This is my blessedness. This is my blessedness. Stand to your feet and turn to your neighbor, one beside you on either side of you. If it's your wife, husband, turn to them. If it's a friend, if it's a fellow laborer in Christ, turn to them. Man to man, perhaps lady to lady. But turn to somebody that you just want to share this moment with. And I want you to look at them and I want you to say these words, I am blessed. I am blessed. And I know more tonight than I knew when I came in the door how much blessed I am. I'm blessed tonight. And I love the church. I love what Jesus purchased with his own blood. I love this church. I love this cause. I love these people. I love meeting here with everybody. It's a joy being with you tonight. Now lift your hands up to the heavens and say, Lord, I receive your blessings in my life tonight. I receive it. I thank you for it. And I'm going to walk forward through the fog, through the fear, through the tough times, through the good times, because you have promised that you're going to take care of my future. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. We're going to receive communion now before we dismiss. Thanks for letting me go away from time to time and, and try to bless other congregations. Thank you for that. Be here Sunday. Look forward to seeing you. I, I really think I'm here the rest of the month on Sundays. I can't wait till my turn comes up and I get to talk about my movies. I love all of you. Open up your bread. Take the top lid off. Take the, the bread out.
You guys got some? Y'all have some? Would, you, would somebody bring the singer some? Would somebody bring the singer some? I want everybody to take this communion. Bring the singer some, please. Thank you. Thank you very much. I want everybody to be a part of this. I love these precious praise singers and the precious band. Bring the band some. Bring the band some. Everybody get one. Everybody get one. I want all of you on the platform to get one. Get one, guys. Get one. Amen. Let's see if you can play and take communion at the same time. Take the bread and hold it up and look at it and say, Lord, I receive into my spirit and body the broken body that was broken for me at Calvary. And I receive this as a token of appreciation for what you've done in my life. I give my life to you. I am blessed tonight. And I receive the bread right now. Receive it. God bless you. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Now take the rest of it, the fruit of the vine, open it up without spilling it and hold it up everybody ready I still hear plastic some people having trouble getting that top off alright hold it up say Lord, Lord I, receive I receive this fruit of the vine, of the vine. Understanding, understanding that you shed your blood for me because you wanted me to be blessed. And I receive that blessing through your blood tonight. Receive the fruit of the vine. Wow. Wow. Raise your hands. Say it with me three times. I am blessed. Wait a minute, I said, with me. Some of you jumping the gun, you'll be doubting Thomas tomorrow. Come on now. Say, I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Thank you for the blessing. I love you, sweet Jesus. I love you. Turn to your neighbor. And say, I'm so glad I got to be in church tonight. Sing us out of here, kids. Sing us out of here.